0: John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast for September 1918. This podcast looks at life in World War I through the letters of John Adams, who was 23 when he joined up in September 1914. He served with the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, and was involved in many significant events in the Western Front, particularly Passchendaele. These are his words read by his grandchildren and narrated by his great grandchildren. This month we have several letters from John. We have talk about home and getting the flax in. Flax hasn't been an important crop in Ireland or Northern Ireland for many a year. And it was of course the crop that made the linen cloth. And you had to leave it out in the field for it to, uh, not just dry, but to bleach in the sunshine. So if you didn't get sunshine, It wasn't going to be a good crop, so that's why he's talking about it with Jimmy. We also hear about John being asked to go forward for a commission, and also news that he got his bar for his military medal. This month in the history section, we look at the ceremonies that took place for giving the men the medals. When you think about how many medals were given out during the First World War, you can see that this would have been quite an operation. My name's Mark Adams, and John Adams is my grandfather.
1: This month, we learn that John Adams was awarded his second Military Medal, or M.M. This means he would display a metal bar on the ribbon, indicating that he was awarded the medal twice. With every soldier who served in the First World War being awarded at least a service medal, that meant that each man would attend an investiture, which is a ceremony at which honours are formally conferred on a person. Many men did not receive a formal investiture due to death or illness, for example. Many of these ceremonies were massive events held outdoors, letting many servicemen and women receive the medals in one go, as well as giving the crowds of people a chance to support their heroes of war. One event, on the 18th of September 1917, was in Glasgow, where King George V invested a large number of people at Ibrox Park Football Stadium. The Telegraph newspaper for Monday, June 4th, 1917, carried a description of an investiture in Hyde Park. Here's an extract from the paper.
2: King's Investiture in Hyde Park. A great commemoration. The people's welcome to Heroes of the War. Beneath the filmy clouds of a London June afternoon, and surrounded by the fresh summer green of the greatest of London parks, there took place on Saturday, one of the most deeply significant ceremonies of these years of war. The King, accompanied by the Queen, Queen Alexandra, and several other members of the royal family, publicly invested some 350 men with the honours that they have earned for gallantry and good service during the war. Never since the famous investiture held by Queen Victoria 60 years ago in the same wide park and in recognition of the same gallantry has there been such an occasion, and it was due to the King's own initiative this public solemnity has been added to the bestowal of our national honours and rewards. Decorations won in the service of the people were on Saturday given in the presence of the people, and though in themselves their value to their possessors was made neither more nor less for this public presentation, there can have been few souls in London whom the thought of this plain ceremony did not stir. There on the grass and among the trees of Hyde Park, the memories of months of selfless devotion walked visibly as in a long procession. The men who had done great and noble service to their country received from the king the large and eternal thanks of the empire. Simple though, the investiture was, there was enough to fire the imagination. One by one, these men, or in a more touching moment still, their relatives, came forward, saluted, and went their way again, lost to sight at once in the crowds. One by one, as the slight figures in khaki, or blue, separated themselves from the small company in front of the dais, ascended the sloping ramp, and stood isolated for a moment before their king and their own people, there was a sudden touch of reality, such as no written description ever gave. From across land and sea, into the heart of London, there came a vision of the patrols and battle lines that make and keep us free. Now it was some shattered corner of a wood with rusty coils of tangled barbed wire for undergrowth, below the splintered stumps. Now some mirror of cool and steady work by a wounded army doctor among the awful human wreckage of a still-shelled battery post. Now of a pair of destroyers tearing through the darkness of the night, the gunfire of the foe their sole guide. Now again it was of the dazzling mirage, and the merciless flat empty sands of burning Mesopotamia. Always behind them was the same picture of endurance to the death for an empire's ideal, and it was a fine thought that the empire's gratitude should be shown in the park as well as the palace. The Royal Procession The multitude around the enclosure in the park was a wonderful sight. No less striking and significant was the immense gathering of the public on the short route from Buckingham Palace to the scene of the ceremony. It is a long while since Londoners of whole, have enjoyed so favourable an opportunity of offering their loyal solutions to the King and Queen on an important state occasion. But Saturday afternoon sets free from the daily round of work countless thousands of wage earners, and vast numbers of these hurried from office, shop, workroom or factory to take their places in the lines of spectators on the road traversed by the royal procession. So it may with truth be said that the crowd, stretching without a break from the palace to Knightsbridge Barracks, was a great popular assembly and certainly the enthusiasm which inspired it was common to all. In the neighbourhood of the palace there was at one o'clock only a mere sprinkling of early comers, but during the next hour and a half every avenue of approach contributed a steady stream of new arrivals until some thousand had congregated in front of the royal residence. Punctually at 235 the King and Queen, accompanied by Princess Mary, left the palace in an open landau drawn by four bay horses, controlled by postillions. The King was in the undress uniform of a Field Marshal, Her Majesty wore a dress of rose-pink material veiled in grey, and Princess Mary was attired in a light fawn costume. Immediately after a course to three, the King and Queen arrived at the pavilion, where most of the royalties were already assembled. The Royal Standard was broken out from the Flagstaff, the troops presented arms, and the bands played the National Anthem. His Majesty inspected the Guard of Honour provided by the Grenadiers and the Scots Guards, and without a moment's delay, the investiture began. Just at this moment, a faint unmistakable hum was heard overhead, and all eyes were turned to a clearing in the clouds high up, in which four or five aeroplanes moved in short circles. A Guard of Honour indeed! Perhaps there was a little real fear of a raid, but the precaution had been taken, and instinctively the mind of many there present went back to the only other great investiture of the King's reign. Investitures have little ritual. In the personality of the men who deserved well of their country lay the chief interest of the afternoon's assembly. While the masked bands of the guards carried out a programme of popular music, the long procession defiled before the King, and the crowd identified its favourites by rigorous applause. Crowds in the park, a splendid picture in a striking setting, a vast multitude swayed by emotions of loyalty and gratitude, an endless moving, surging crowd, anxious to see the men and women whom the King delighted to honour. Such was the inspiring scene in London's Great Park on Saturday afternoon. Long hours before the time appointed for the investiture, the people flocked to the open space where the honours were to be bestowed so that many who thought they had come full early, found every vantage point occupied. Yet the human stream moved on, old and young, grave and gay, men in blue already broken in the fierce contest, others in khaki ready to take their place. There were all the old familiar features of a London crowd, a holiday crowd, For this was no ordinary ceremonial, it was a public thanksgiving day, on which it was meant to pay honour to men and women, in whose splendid deeds was reflected the very spirit of loyal devotion which animates an entire empire in these great days. It seemed as if Hyde Park itself invited attendance on this glorious afternoon, its stately trees in full summer bloom, its rich lawns in verdant splendour. The crowd surged through the entrance gates, breaking happily into separate streams, which flowed along the shady avenues, leading to the scene of the Great Ceremony. They wore the patriotic emblems, which insistent vendors pressed upon them. They scanned the programmes, which gave details of the investiture. They made way for the wounded, who laboured heavily towards the centre for which all were making. Where flats and houses overlooked the park, roofs and windows were filled with spectators. We are not given in these grave days to flag-waving or to the lavish display of bunting, but on this occasion it seemed fitting that some slight departure from rigorous austerity be made so that here and there the visible emblem of patriotism was at once brought out, as if in the token of hope the day is not far distant, when the gladness of victory will replace the sorrow inseparable from stern trial and cruel sacrifice.
1: sunday
0: 1st september 1918 a partial letter poorly copied and first page
1: missing others cut off some words are interpolated
0: dear mother i suppose you will be pleased to know that i have been awarded a bar for my military medal i was recommended for the dcm but got the bar instead it is still something as the bar is just the same as another military medal this will give the people at home something to talk about. I suppose they have forgotten about me being home. At least I hope they have. Well, this is all at present, hoping to hear from home soon again. I hope Annie and Jimmy and yourself are still in good health. Goodbye, your loving son, Johnny.
1: Saturday, 7th September, 1918, field postcard.
0: I am quite well and going on well. I received your letter. Letter follows first opportunity. Monday 9th September 1918 Dear Mother, just a few lines to say how you have received your letters all right. And I am glad to know that yourself and all at home are still enjoying your usual good health, as this leaves myself at time of writing. I hope Jimmy has got his flax saved as it has got rather wet, It will be very hard to get the harvest saved if it continues to rain. I believe Jenny has gone to Bangor for the month. I had a card from her yesterday and she was in good health. Well, I think this is all at present, hoping to hear from you soon again. Goodbye. I remain your loving son, Johnny. Thursday 12th September
1: 1918, Field Postcard.
0: I am quite well, and I'm going on well. I received your letter dated the 7th of September, 1918. Letter follows at first opportunity. Monday 16th September, 1918 My dear mother, just a few lines hoping they will find yourself and all at home still enjoying your usual good health, as this leaves myself in the same at time of writing. The weather is still keeping quite nice and I hope it may continue. Has Jimmy got his flax saved yet? It should bring him in some money. I received all your letters all right. Well dear mother, I may as well let you know that I have been asked several times if I would go in for a commission, but I do not know as yet what I may do. Sometimes I think of doing it and then change my mind again. But I have written to Mr. Miki, minister in Kings Mills Presbyterian Church, and also Elliot of Rathente, for as my moral character, it is necessary to have them if I should take the notion again. My own captain would like it if I would go for it. If Mr. Elliot is talking to you about it, you might let him know what I want. It is just a paper saying he has known me for however long and the sort of character I have at home. This is all there is for now. Goodbye. I remain your loving son. J. Adams.
2: Thank you for listening to John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. To find out more about John Adams and his family, visit www.johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters. The history of the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, during the World War One is taken from the Blackers Boys. Visit them at uk with the number nine. The podcast will be published a hundred years after the letters were written, so, will be published nearly every month. This has been a Mark's Mess production.